0: All right, so let me welcome you again to our SPLASH uh, study. We did a, kind of an introductory uh, lesson last week, kind of introduced the material to you, and it shows you on the outline what SPLASH stands for. It stands for, show, it's an acrostic, show people love and share Him. It's not a program. It's not an evangelistic, evangelistic training event. Nothing wrong with either of those things, but that's not what this is. We're just looking at scripture, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, trying to learn how he did ministry, trying to learn how he shared the gospel. And basically to summarize the way Jesus did it, uh, if we could just show people love and share him, make an amazing impact on people around us. So just for review, because some of you were not here last week, just for review, there's three foundational principles that we talked about last Wednesday. And this is, again, just for review uh, first of all, a witness is what we are before it is what we do. We talked about that, that in order to be a witness of anything, you have to experience it before you can declare it. And the very fact that you experienced it makes you a witness. Whether you want to be a witness or you sign up to be a witness or you desire to be a witness, it doesn't matter, but the fact that you've experienced it makes you a witness, and so we talked about that in pretty good detail last week. Number two, our lives, let's see if somebody can fill in this blank. Our lives in Christ are designed to make people thirsty for the gospel. Exactly. Thank you. Very early in Jesus' ministry. All right, I got to go. Now, thank you for letting me know that. Okay, so let me start. Welcome to Splash. <laughs> no. uh, so, we're talking about point number three our lives should point beyond ourselves. Jesus said to his disciples, Because you are following me, and because of who I am, you are the light of the world. And we said that your purpose is not to show people how good you are, it's to show people how good God is. So, if we're going to be effective in sharing him, we sometimes have to show him to others before we share him. So, I've been thinking today, how are we doing? That's a big question. You could ask that question this way, how am I doing? Or you could ask the question a little broader, how is our church doing in this area? Or you could ask it even broader and say, how are we doing as Southern Baptists. Do you remember the stat that I gave you last week? I, I said only blank percent of those who claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus ever tell anybody about him. Do you remember what that percentage was? Four percent. Four, only four percent of the people who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ ever tell anybody about him, which means 96 percent do not. of the people who sit in our churches Sunday after Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, 96% of our people on average, certainly some churches are better than others, but on average, 96% of of Christians do do not share Christ with anyone, which is mind-boggling. And so as I wrestled with that figure and those those thoughts, I read some things today uh, that just seemed to underline and and verify that stat. Uh, two things came out today. I'll say that again. This is not something I read in a book you know, from years ago. Two things came out today that would show us what a problem we are having. Uh, The Baptist Press report came out today. Can you guys put that on the screen? This this is on Twitter. I don't know how many of you are on Twitter and you do the whole tweet thing. Uh, But here's what Twitter said, on Baptist Press, ACP, which is the annual church profile, and the, tit- the, the, the uh, title of this little tweet and article is, more churches are reported, that is, there, there are more churches reported on the ACP, but baptism worship numbers decline. We've got more churches than we've ever had, and yet our baptisms are declining. Um let me say that this is not just a problem in in baptist circles it is a problem in all denominations excuse me for looking this up but i i I think i just want to read it to you Uh, i don't want you to take my word for it though you know that i wouldn't lie to you hopefully but when i read this it's like man what's going on what's going on in our denomination now all right, so, find it here. All right, here it is. Southern Baptists, this is the article. More churches reported, baptisms declined. Here's, here's the article. Southern Baptists may find cause for hope in the latest annual church profile report. Now, let me explain that to you since you're, you're not perhaps familiar with annual church profile report. Every year, our church sends in stats about our church to the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a whole form that Steve diligently fills out and all these numbers that we plug in to, to kind of describe our church to the Southern Baptist Convention. We do it every year. And churches, that's a voluntary thing, and, and all churches theoretically should turn in their report, their ACP report to the Southern Baptist Convention. And then all those numbers are, comp- are compiled from all the churches, and that's where they get these kind of stats. So what, what this article is saying is here's the results of that ACP study. Southern Baptists may find cause for hope in the latest annual church profile report. The Southern Baptist Convention added more churches in 2015, due mostly to church planning efforts. Churches also experienced an increase in total giving. That's good. Listen to the second paragraph. However, according to the ACP report compiled by Lifeway Christian Resources, other key measures declined. Those included membership, average worship attendance, baptisms, and missions giving. Those four areas in Southern Baptist churches are on the decline. A bright spot in the ACP data uh, was the increase in churches. The number of churches affiliated with Southern Baptist Convention grew by 294 to 46,793, a 0.6%, 0.63% increase over 2014. This is the 17th year in a row that the number of SBC churches has grown which if you just look at that stat, like, wow, for 17 straight years, the number of churches, Southern Baptist churches, has grown. Sounds good. Sounds impressive. Listen to this. While the number of SBC-related congregations increased, had 294 more churches this year than we did last year, reported membership in those churches declined by more than 200,000. Down 1.32% to 15.3 million members. Average weekly worship attendance declined by 1.72% to 5.6 million worshipers. But now listen to this. Southern Baptists also experienced a decline in baptisms. Down 3.3% to 295,212. Reported baptisms have fallen. Hear this, church. Reported baptisms have fallen eight of the last ten years. The ratio of baptisms to total members decreased to one baptism for every 52 members. Ideally, you'd like that number one baptism to every 38 or something like that, one baptism to every 40 members at most. And, And now that number has grown that it takes 52 Southern Baptists. Uh, to bring one person to faith in Christ. Of course, ultimately, the Holy Spirit does that, but you understand what we're saying. Last paragraph, I want you to listen to this. This is a quote from Frank Page, and he says, I quote, God help us all. In a world that is desperate for the message of Christ, we continue to be less diligent in sharing the good news. May God forgive us and give us a new passion to reach this world for Christ. So the question is, how are we doing? And the answer is, it doesn't seem like we're doing very well at all. That was Baptist Press report that came out today. There was another tweet, and I'm going to get into the Bible. Uh, please be patient with me. There was another tweet that I just want you to be aware of. This is from Tom Rainer, and, and he says, we are steadily losing interest in evangelism over time. Steadily losing interest in evangelism as a denomination. Look at this graph that he produced. Uh, he went on Twitter, he said, there's seven things that Google tells us about evangelism. Go to the next slide. This is, there it is. I hope you can see that from where you are. Lisa, can you see that? Can y'all see that back there? Chris, can you see that? Kind of, sort of. Can you see that? I'm not going to get into all the numbers, but can you see this constant decline? What this is, let me tell you what this graph is. Google does this study where you, it's called Google Trends. And, and you can put in a word and say, how many people have searched this word between this time and that time? So when you put in the word evangelism, how many people have searched the word evangelism between, what is it, 2014 or something like that until present? 2004, thank you, until present. That's Can you see how it's going? It just keeps going downward, doesn't it? How many people are interested in evangelism? Basically, that's what you're asking with that question. How many people are searching for evangelism? How many people are interested in evangelism? And the the trend continues to go downward. Now, all of that is an introduction to, to say this. I'm not saying that we ought to be about evangelism simply because our numbers are down. I'm not saying that we should be about it because the trend is downward. All of those are true. We, we want to turn that trend around. We want to turn that graph around. We want to see the numbers grow, absolutely. But that's not the reason we need to be about sharing Christ with others. The reason we need to be about sharing Christ with others is because of what happens when we don't. I want to show you this video that I showed the group last week. You, if you were here last week, you saw it. It's only four minutes long. But again, many of you are not here, and I want to make sure that, that you get to see this. And if you saw it last week, it'll be good for you to see it again. Dr. Roy Fish, the video we're about to watch is Dr. Roy Fish, trained thousands of pastors and missionaries over a period of, of almost 50 years at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was one of his students. And for almost 50 years, he, did, he trained people in personal Evangelism. I want you to watch this video again for some of you, and for some you'll sit for the first time. Just four minutes long, as Dr. Fish tells us why we need to show people love and share Him. Let's watch this together.
1: There is something in the nature of God that wants His love to be shared with other people. And I think that's that's the most most uh, powerful driving force in my own life i'm not saying it's always there but this realization that god loves people and god wants his love to be made known and as i said that to me is the most powerful driving force, God's own nature, and his desire that people know about his love to the the degree that they can come into vital relationship with him. But, uh, not merely God, but uh, other people and their great need. I, I don't ever remember hearing anything, and all the time I've been at Southwestern as a student, in faculty lounge or anywhere else, I don't remember ever hearing anything that would be foreign to the fact that people without Jesus are lost. And they're not only lost, but they're in danger of being eternally lost. I'll be really honest with you. I I, I sort of wish it were different, but the most powerful motive in my own life for sharing the gospel in the years that I've been in ministry, the most powerful motive has been the fact that people are going to be in hell if they don't somehow come into saving faith with Jesus. So the lostness of people, oh, you could expand that. Uh, they're not only lost, but when you're lost, usually you have an emptiness and a hunger on the inside and a desire that's not satisfied. But nevertheless, God and other people. The third reason is just because of what it does for us. Uh, I, uh, I don't know many Christians who are actively sharing their faith, who don't find the Christian life to be exciting. Now, God intended that. He believed, I think, that when we get into his redemptive stream, that we discover a degree of excitement that we don't find anywhere else a tremendous satisfaction in sharing the gospel and uh, telling other people uh, what it does for me. That's That's a part of a driving force. And, you know, I couldn't imagine anything more wonderful than to get to heaven and to have somebody come up to you and say, hey, you know, I probably wouldn't be here in heaven if it weren't for you. I mean, Jesus is the one who saved me, but you're the one who told me about him. And if you hadn't told me about him, I might not be here. And I've been waiting on you to come to heaven because I've been wanting to thank you for sharing with me. I might not be here if it weren't for you. So because of God and because of others and because of what it does for us. I see those as three, at least three areas of driving motivation for sharing the thrilling news of Jesus with others.
0: Several years ago, many years ago actually now, uh, I called Dr. Fish and tried to, or I, I invited him to come preach at Mount Airy. And he wanted to come, and we were trying to work it out, and, and I forgot what the conflict was, but he couldn't work it out. Uh, so uh, I wish we had had that opportunity. Let me tell you a story. Two days ago, I had some guys working at our house, and I eventually engaged one of the guys named Roy in a conversation. And, and I asked Roy if he had a home church. And his response to me was this, he said, I I don't have a whole lot of use for church because I've seen so many hypocrites. He he wasn't being mean towards me, he was just expressing his feelings and uh, his experience. And, And as I continued the conversation with Roy and progressed in the conversation, I said, Roy, can I ask you a question? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or would you say you're still in the process? And then he, he quickly began to tell me that he believed. He, he never said, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. He just quickly began to tell me that everything that he believed. He listed all the things that he believed. And, and I looked at him. I said, Roy, you know, the Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble. And he looked at me and said, yes, sir, I, I, I guess you're right. I said, Roy, there's a difference between believing something and trusting in Jesus. And we talked about that a little bit, and then quickly, uh, Roy wanted to change the station and walk off and do something else. And, And I know he was working, and I was trying to talk to him in the middle of his work, but have you ever had someone argue that the hypocrites are keeping them from becoming a Christian? Just raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. My goodness, almost everybody here. It's a pretty weak excuse, but I'm afraid some Christians have given potential believers the excuse they're looking for, unfortunately. If we're going to be effective in sharing Jesus, we need to learn to be more like Him when it comes to dealing with people who are not Christians. I want you to hear that again. If we're going to become effective in sharing Jesus with others, we need to become more effective in dealing with people who do not know Him who are not Christians. So what we're going to talk about tonight is this. uh, That phrase, show people love and share Him, we want to focus tonight on show people love. That's what we're going to be studying. And last week I gave you a homework assignment. I gave you three passages of Scripture and asked you to read those and study those so you could participate in our discussion. Now if you did read them, praise the Lord. If you didn't read them, I I love you anyway. Uh, And I'm glad that you're here so here's the the assignments uh, here's what I'm going to do. Um, trying to decide how to divide you guys over here on my left on this section right back here you guys i'm going to ask you to read or if you've already read it, uh, you can scan it uh, john four one through forty two and I think I put instructions on your notes didn't I all right so here's what I need you to do three things: read or scan the story, tell the story to a neighbor. And then I'm, somebody, I want you to summarize the story to the group. So here's what I mean by tell the story to the neighbor. Somebody was sitting beside you, somebody sitting behind you. Turn around and say, okay, let me see if I can tell you the story. All right? So read the story or scan it if you've already read it. Tell the story to somebody near, near you. And then I'm going to ask somebody to summarize the story. So you guys, on my left, far left, John 4, 1 through 42, you've got a lot to read. All right, so this front section, we're going to go from Uh, This front section, say, to um, Billy. This front section right here, to Billy. Uh, You guys have John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And so from Dennis back and over here to my right, uh, you you guys and gals have Luke 19, 1 through 10. So this section right in front of me, John 8, 1 through 11, and then the... in the back section and over to my right, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Now, it might mean that you have to get up so you can talk to somebody and share the story, and that's fine. So go ahead, and we'll give you several minutes to do this. Alright, I hope you've had enough time to go through that and at least get a, a grasp of the story and so that we can share it together and talk about the different aspects of these three stories. We're going to start with John chapter 4 and uh, here's what I want to do. I want to ask somebody, anybody summarize the story for us in 60 seconds. I don't want you to teach it. I don't want you to, you know, go on and on and on about it. But could you give me a 45-second to 60-second overview of that story? Who could do that for us on this side? Yeah, it's, you've got the longest one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Good job, Stephen. Let's, let's all talk about this real quick. And what we're going to do in a moment is compare these three stories. Uh, when the Jews were scattered by the Babylonian captivity, some of those left behind intermarried with Gentiles, people who were not Jews. And they created a, a whole new people group that were known as Samaritans. Well, They were considered half-breeds. They were half-Jew. They were not full-blooded Jew. They were half Jew, and those Jews who came back from captivity and found out that these Jews had married Gentiles, and thus they've created this group called Samaritans, the ones that were full-blooded Jews hated the Samaritans. They felt like that they uh, sold out, that they weren't faithful to, to the Jewish faith, and so there was a great conflict between the two. In fact, they created, the Samaritans had to create their own place of worship, because they were not allowed to go to the temple, because they were now half-breeds. This particular woman was not only a Samaritan. This group, or anybody that might know the story, she had been married more than once. How many times had she been married? Five times. Is there anything else that you would say about that? Not only was she married five times, but there was one other aspect to that. She was living with a guy. Uh, she was living with a guy that was not... She already been married five times, living with a guy that was not her husband. And her presence at the well late in the day indicates that she was not welcome at the well by the respectable women. So basically, what I want you to see by this, she was even looked down upon by the Samaritans. Here's a Samaritan woman that was probably looked down upon by the Samaritans. This is not a lady who had a great reputation. This is the kind of lady, I'm just trying to be... Be real, this is the kind of lady that when she comes in to your church, you look and go, you know, and maybe you don't, and hopefully you don't. But that's the kind of lady she was, okay? Hang on to that. Let's go to the second story. Second story is John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is... A woman caught in the act of adultery. Somebody in that section right here in front of me, tell me a little bit about her or about that story. Yeah. Question. Where was the man? Yeah. Why was he not brought before the council? You ever notice it was just the woman brought before the council? It wasn't both of them? There There's several reasons we could probably get into on that, but I think one of the reasons is they really didn't care about the woman and they didn't care about the Mosaic Law. Right now, they were just concerned in she was a, a, a tool in their hand to try to trap Jesus. That's all they were concerned about. They didn't care about how she felt. They didn't care about what she had to go through. She was a tool for their own agenda as they tried to trap Jesus. And you know the story of how he he wrote in the sand, in the, in the dirt with his finger. And, and a dramatic story. And eventually said, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And I love the way the text says it. Uh, y'all correct me if I'm saying it wrong. But the text says something like this. That they started leaving from the oldest to the youngest. Why do you suppose they started leaving from the oldest to the youngest? Yeah. The oldest probably had more. Yeah. They had more skeletons in their closet than the younger guys. But they all had skeletons in their closet because they all dropped the rock, and walked away. Uh, This, again, is not the kind of woman that everybody would be proud to know. Hang on to that. Group number three. Uh, You had the story in in, uh, Luke chapter 19 about a man named Zacchaeus. Group number three, I'm pointing over here, but it's also the people in the back here as well. So anybody in that section, can you summarize that story of Zacchaeus for us? Go ahead. I double dog dare you. Finish this, since Chris didn't sing it, finish this for me. Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Why do you think that in the Scripture it really gives print to the fact that Zacchaeus was a small man? He was a short guy. He was vertically challenged. All right, why, why is that even mentioned? In the scripture, had to go out of his way to see Jesus, had to climb the tree to see Jesus, yes, yeah, kind of adds to the fact that he's unfavorable, he's an underdog I, I this is just a a thought of mine. It's not really something I can point to in scripture, uh, but I think it may indicate that this had become a point of derision for him. I think Zacchaeus was probably uh, well aware that he was a short guy. Probably got made fun of because he was such a short guy. And to add, to to make it worse, it wasn't just that he was short, but he was crooked. What did he do for a living? Tax collector. Do you know many tax collectors that people like? Uh... If you're an honest tax collector, it's hard enough. But if you're a dishonest tax collector, it's really hard to have any friends. You see, Zacchaeus was, Zacchaeus was not the kind of guy that, that everybody pointed to and said, Boy, you, you ought to meet him. He, he was the kind of guy that everybody avoided. In fact, when Jesus called him out, and actually stopped and singled him out and talked to him and and invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, everybody was like, what? I don't understand what's happening here. Why would he go to the home of such a sinner? Because this guy is crooked. Now, you got those three stories, so let's talk about this. What are some of the similarities in all three stories? I love the way you said that. Jesus showed love to the unfavorable. Good. Somebody else? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Very good. Anybody else? They were all sinners. In all three stories, and all your answers are great, in all three stories, Jesus showed people love, and that opened the door to show them how their lives could be different. The thing that kind of opened the door to the gospel in all three stories is that Jesus showed them love. That allowed him the opportunity to talk to them about how their lives could be different. Now, I want to tell you another story, personal story. Uh, this, this is not in, anywhere near like the stories we just read, uh, but maybe it will illustrate this point. Uh, last Friday, uh, I had a guy here meet me at church, and he was replacing my windshield. We, when we were in Charleston, a hit or windshield or broke it. And, and so uh, I called, and, and the company sent out a guy last Friday to replace it. So I went outside. I met him, showed him the card. We, we, we dealt with all that, you know. Try to be nice to him and all that. Then I went back inside, and I, you know, Lori sometimes is like my wife. And here's what I mean by that: my wife can sometimes say the right thing at just the right time. It's like, ugh, that's the Holy Spirit, you know. Is any other men have that? You you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I walked into. I was outside, and I walked into my office. In order to get to my office, I have to walk through her office. As I was walking through her office, she said, "Um, um, there's some cold bottles of water in the refrigerator if you might want to give him one. I stopped, and I said, okay. (laughs) So I went, and sure enough, there were bottles of water in the refrigerator. And uh, so I went out to him, and, and I said, hey, Mike, would you like a bottle of cold water? And here's what he said. This is verbatim what he said. When I I said, would you like a bottle of cold water? He looked at it and he said, now you're speaking my language. And you know what that allowed me to do? It allowed me to stand there for, I don't know, five or ten minutes and talk to Mike. And I, I didn't fully share the gospel with him, but I got to talk to him about the things of the Lord. And I eventually got to invite him to church. And guess what? He came Sunday. And he brought his wife with him. And he brought his two daughters with him. And he texted me after church to tell me how much he liked it. And how much his kids liked it. And that they're going to be here next Sunday too. Now the reason I tell you that, it started with a simple bottle of water. And with the awareness that here's an opportunity I need to take advantage of. And I almost passed it except my secretary reminded me that's kind of what you're supposed to be doing. There's some bottles of water in the refrigerator if you might want to give one to him. And when I did, that that, that one gesture opened the door for me to talk to him about the Lord. So here's, put this on the bottom of your note, and I put it in yellow because I wanted to make sure you remember it. The Lord just kind of gave me this today as I was reading this and thinking about it, and thinking about my experience with Mike and and the scriptures that we've just studied. Here's here's the statement that I, I think summarizes it. When you show people that you care, you earn the right to tell them why. When you show people that you care, you earn the right to tell them why. Why you care. So I want to I end in about five minutes here. I want to suggest three ways that you can show people that you care. On the back of your notes, I think there's a place there for you to fill that in. Let me give you some practical things, just some very practical ways that you can show people that you care. Number one, be approachable. Be approachable. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we, we could take the time and study this, uh, but we don't have that time tonight, but maybe you, you'll want to do it in your personal quiet time. Uh, but I want to point something out to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Speaking of Jesus, it says in verse 1, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Verse 2, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's a great story, but here's what I want you to understand. This leper not only believed that Jesus could help, but he also believed that Jesus would help. You say, how do you know that? Because here's what the leper did. He did what most lepers would never do. He approached Jesus. And don't miss that in that simple two verses. Because here's the way it usually would work. Because you were a leper, you were considered to be an outcast. And because you were a leper and you had this disease that was contagious, you were not allowed to be around people. In fact, if somebody approached you and you were a leper, you had to back off. You had to back up. And you had to announce, leper! Because you didn't. You could not risk people coming in contact with you and getting your disease, and so you were not allowed to go worship at the temple. You were not allowed to be around your family. You were you were outside the village, outside the city. You, in fact, they lived they huddled together. Other lepers would live together because that's the only people they could associate with. The only people lepers could associate with were other lepers. You were not allowed to approach anybody like that. And this verse says that this leper went to Jesus. Look at it again, verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Just be approachable. There was something about the way Jesus did his life that even the lepers thought they could approach him. I, I've got this statement, I, I think I put it on your notes, from Andy Stanley said, when you study the life and ministry of Jesus, people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. I love that. People who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They were drawn to him because they saw in him clear evidence that he genuinely cared for them. So be approachable. Number two, look for those who seem to be invisible. Look for those who seem to be invisible. Mark chapter 10, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm just going to read you the text. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16 is an example of this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Uh, when Jesus saw them, he was indignant, and he said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Uh, the disciples wanted to push the children away. He, they did not see them as significant, and Jesus wanted to welcome them. Uh, you, you, you and I, we all need to look for people who are invisible. And sometimes the invisible people are the ones who are hurting Sometimes the invisible people are the ones that live near us. Sometimes the invisible people are the ones that we see every day but we don't notice. Sometimes the invisible people are the ones who have a reputation. And it's not a good one. Sometimes the invisible people are the ones who if we really stopped and think about it, they're the ones who need Jesus desperately. we all need Jesus desperately but they're the ones they're the ones who their lives are, are a wreck and people keep walking by them so look for those invisible people number three do the unexpected Jesus was the master of unexpected kindness Just read the Gospels. There are so many stories we could point out. He was the master of unexpected kindness. Maybe one day this week, you'll do something for somebody, and they'll say, now you're speaking my language. Now they may be ready to listen. So here's here's the proposal. Show people love and share him. Not a program, show people love and share him. Father, in the name of Jesus, may you continue to bring people across our path that we can show people love to and who desperately need you. And Lord, maybe you need to simply open our eyes to the invisible people that we walk by. But regardless of who it is, give us that heart, that desire, the willingness to show people love, and to share you with others. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.